Welcome to Gracefield Grit. I'm your host, Lana Stinner, and we are chatting all about growing your faith, family, and the backyard farm. Here at the Gracefield Homestead, we are having honest, hard, and authentic conversations with some amazing guests about getting back to the basics and what's important in life. We are not for everyone, and we don't clean up our conversations, so you will get the unedited chat. Each episode, you can expect practical tips and encouragement. I am so honored to have you join us today, so grab a cup of coffee and let's do this thing. Hey friend, welcome back to the Graceful Grit Podcast. We're going off the beaten path in normal scheduling for today's episode. I was planning to stay on the homestead kitchen topic of sourdough bread, but we're taking a little turn off of that to discuss Israel. And please excuse my voice. I had COVID last week. I'm feeling great, but I don't sound so great. So we're just going to go for it anyway. As of this recording, it is mid-October 2023. You may be listening to this six months from now. Who knows? One week ago, Hamas breached the Gaza border and brutally attacked innocent Israeli civilians. Within a few days, my son flew into Tel Aviv to fill in for the Israeli fire and rescue. He's been tied to this organization for a couple of years, but he's never been to pl- deployed to help them out until now. So he is there now with a small team of U.S. firefighters. For obvious reasons, we didn't want him to go, but he said he was called and he was going to serve. So an interesting fact, funny how God works in our world. Our Monday podcast is a super short reading of the scripture called Word Up. We started these extra episodes a while back knowing that I wanted somewhere on the podcast to have a way, if you're struggling, to listen to just the Psalms or the Proverbs, um, because they're just so important and just so powerful if you're struggling with something. When we finished those up, I decided for some strange reason to go ahead and move into Romans as well. Uh, I think mainly just because Romans 8.28 has always been our family life first, and it got us through so many hard times. So I just wanted to do Romans, and then we were going to stop, possibly, probably. So it's just interesting. My son is over for his first week in Israel, and guess where we're at in Romans on the Monday Word Up podcast? Today, chapter 8. And we know all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. You can't make that up. God is so cool and into the little details to let us know that he's still in control. So I've had so many questions about Israel. If we're Jewish and we're not, I wish I was. And why is all this happening I thought we would just cover some of the basics about Israel and why it's so important to the nations of the world. Just to be clear, I'm coming at you from a Christian worldview. I attend a very basic Baptist church, but I was raised Pentecostal Assembly of God. So I'm spirit-filled, believing the Bible is God's word to us, that he sent his son to die for our sins, and Jesus is the one and only way to heaven. So why is everyone so concerned with this small country Israel that is about the size of tiny New Jersey? Everyone, the nations of the world, want a piece of it. 
And although we are talking about Gaza this week, which really is only about a 25-mile-long stretch that's seven miles wide, all of this is really about Jerusalem. For the three main religions of the world, the Jewish faith, the Christians, and the Muslims, it all revolves around Jerusalem. So we don't have a lot of time, and I just want to cover the basics here that the church in America rarely hits on. We've become such creatures of comfort over here, worried about if we're serving the right coffee in the foyer and why they don't move the service time so we can go watch the Chiefs win the football game. It's sad, and I'm guilty of it too. We focus on things that are not important instead of God's simple truths and His history, and we can learn so much about God's heart towards us looking back at these stories. So let's dive in. Abraham, who was originally known as Abram and his wife, Sarah, were a childless elderly couple living in the land of Canaan in the Bible. It starts in Genesis 12, when God is telling him to move. He says, to a land that I will show you, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Then in verse seven, God says to him, to your descendants, I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who appeared to him. Side note, If you fast forward to the dimensions of the land that he gives Abraham in Genesis 15, it's way bigger than Israel right now. It goes into Egypt and Iraq, Jordan, Syria, Lebanon. He talks about the rivers and how far it goes. So we're not even going to talk about that right now. That's just an interesting fact that God mapped it out all those years ago. God promised to give Abraham and Sarah a son and make their descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. When Sarah didn't conceive a child, she allowed her husband, Abraham, to have a child with her Egyptian maidservant, Hagar. Good grief. This is a perfect picture of what not to do when you're waiting on God. She just got impatient and made her own way and made a stinking mess of things. And I can totally relate. I haven't done that, but I've been there on the impatient trail with God. Hagar became pregnant and gave birth to a son named Ishmael. Later, I think like 14 years later, I'll have to look that up, but it was a while later, as promised by God, Sarah finally conceived and gave birth to Isaac. It was a miracle because she was so old. And Isaac was seen as the child of the covenant, the child through whom God's promises to Abraham would be fulfilled from back in Genesis 12. It gets better. Y'all, this is a juicy story. It is so good. You can turn off that Netflix. The Bible storyline is so much better. And the backstory on Abraham that I have missed so many times reading the Bible through and just found this this morning. He's tied to Melchizedek, the king of Salem. That it's that Salem is the ancient name for Jerusalem. He's the priest of God most high. This guy, Melchizedek, he exists, but he wasn't born and he doesn't have a lineage. He is the high priest. There is a lot of debate on Melchizedek. And that is just another story. And it is beyond fascinating. It is so interesting that he is a key figure in this Abraham blessing. 
This is wild. This is wild stuff. So you probably remember that in Genesis 22, God tested Abraham's faith by commanding him to take his precious son, Isaac, to a mountain to offer him as a burnt sacrifice. This command was a test of Abraham's obedience and faith in God's will. Isaac was carrying the wood to start the fire. Total side note, rabbit trail. Many theologians believe that that was a foreshadowing of Christ carrying his wooden cross before he was willingly sacrificed by his Father in heaven. Let me read this quick passage to you that is, it's just mind-blowing to me. Genesis 22, verses 3 through 6. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son, Isaac. God made a way on the third day after Isaac carried the wood. What on earth? Interesting thoughts for another day. So back to the story. So basically, when they got to the place on the mountain, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood. He then bound Isaac and placed him on top of the altar. And as Abraham raised his knife to sacrifice his son, an angel of the Lord intervened and declared that God had seen his willingness to obey and provided a ram caught in the nearby thicket to be sacrificed in Isaac's place. I, I can't even imagine. I, I don't, I, there's no way I could have done that. God tested Abraham's faith and he passed without the actual sacrifice of his son. Like I mentioned, in Christianity, it is viewed as a foreshadowing of God's ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ for our redemption. This story is also read at every Rosh Hashanah celebration, which is the Jewish New Year, as a reminder to have faith and that God provides. After Ishmael, her son, was taunting the younger half-brother, Tensions were boiling over in the household between Sarah and Hagar, and Sarah ultimately demanded that Hagar and Ishmael be sent away. She forced her husband's hand. So hang with me. It all ties together. So basically, you have Abraham that has this covenant with God about land, a people, and descendants more than the stars. But he has two different wives with two different sons. The Jewish people are the descendants of Isaac. Sarah's son, and the Muslims are the descendants of Ishmael. Abraham sends Hagar and Ishmael away, and the covenant is with Isaac. Over 600 years later, one of Ishmael's descendants, Muhammad, has a dream and that it is the beginning of Islam trying to regain that covenant, which is the blessed land and the people. God even named Israel and his chosen covenant people himself. So we're talking about Abraham, his son, Isaac, but let's not forget about Jacob, Isaac's son, the third one. We often hear that phrase, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when referring to God. And interestingly enough, we did a podcast a long time ago. I should look up what that number is 
on Jacob wrestling with God or the angel of God. Remember, I'm a wrestling mama with all four of my kiddos are were wrestlers. And we loved that passage that has their sword in it. So this passage is in Genesis 32. And to set it up for you, Jacob, Isaac's grown son, is in a mess of a situation. They're always in a mess. He has his huge family and all their animals and tents and possessions traveling through the territory of his estranged brother, who he totally jacked with and lied to, and all kinds of drama going on there. He is basically afraid for his life. And this is where God names his people and country that he has a covenant with. Genesis 32, 22 through 28. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have wrestled with God and with humans and have overcome. So that is the origin of the name of Israel, and they were God's covenant people in his land that he promised them. So another little side note, real quick, Israel did not exist on our maps. It became a country in 1948, and that has never happened in world history before, and they became a nation in one day, just as it says in Isaiah 66, 8. Although it is a basic part of our Christian theology, we rarely talk about prophecy in the American church today. And that was not the case here 50, 75 years ago. My mother, who is now in her 80s, remembers the spring day in 1948 when Israel became a nation. She was a little kid, and my nanny, my grandma, was in the kitchen super excited that God fulfilled the prophecy of Israel becoming a nation again. These are basic beliefs in our Christian theology that we are not teaching about. Another side note, the Old Testament was written hundreds of years before the New Testament. The Torah is the first five books of our Old Testament and the foundation of the Jewish faith. Christ's birth in the New Testament fulfilled over 300 prophecies that were written about him at least 600 years earlier in the Old Testament from his lineage, where he was born, from being from Nazareth. So many of those were fulfilled when he was born. All the things. It's just bizarre if you dig into it. And our churches don't talk about this. There are some prophecies that have not yet been fulfilled, and they are tied to Israel. It's so interesting. And I'm just hitting the highlights here and way oversimplifying it. It's more complicated than that, but that's it in a nutshell. It starts out with the Jews and the Muslims through Isaac and Ishmael, and then Christ comes on the scene, turns everything upside down, and in the book of Acts, the Christian church is born. 
All three of these main religions in the world have a separate eschatology that they believe. And eschatology is just the big word for your belief and your theology of the final days and how it all works out. All three of these belief systems and religions are tied to the Holy Land, specifically Jerusalem. And we could go into so much more detail here, but we won't because we don't have time. So flash forward to today. The secular non-Christian studies are showing that most Americans believe that we are in the end times. Although there is a lot of talk about Armageddon and all the players in Ezekiel 38 and 39, nobody really knows when it'll happen. And just a reminder of our theology, if you have the basic Christian worldview, there are two main pieces of that that we're talking about today. There will be a final world war battle for Israel where the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will win and miraculously save them all from the surrounding nations. That's if you believe your Bible. And number two, there is Christ's second coming for us. And although our pastors don't want to hit on these topics because they're heavy, these are our basic beliefs in the Christian church. The countries listed in Ezekiel 38 and 39 are lining up. Who knows? It could be hundreds of years from now, but it is interesting. If you lay the ancient maps over our current countries, Persia is Iran that planned and funded this latest attack, even with the tech hack of the Iron Dome. Gog and Magog are Russia. The list goes on and the players are involved already. Look it up. Google it. It will blow your mind. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 18. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we are still alive, are left and will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be forever with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. There are lots of debates in all of our different denominations when this will happen, either before the tribulation, middle, the three and a half year point, or at the end of the seven years. In that same verse 17, the Greek word for caught up means suddenly seize. If that was the middle or the end, we would already know what's going on and not suddenly be shocked by it. I am pre-tribulation for many other reasons too, but it's not a deal breaker. I hope I'm right, but I might not be. He also says in the next chapter five, verse nine, that he did not appoint us to wrath. So anyway, what are we to do with all this information? Eyes open and back to the basics. See, I'm not off-brand and off-topic today like I thought. Our platform has always been about back to the basics. Just today, it's a matter of our hearts and not just the homestead. God is good. He loves us and he loves his people. The entire Bible is filled with this back and forth for his people. He keeps his promises over and over again. These are trying times and we need to be diligent know our Bibles, know God's heart, and share his goodness with others. He is a faithful God. Glorifying him is our purpose on this planet, not to win at the career game, amass all the toys, and travel. It is to glorify him 
period. We will link our free Bible reading plan in the show notes if you want to get started before January, which is not a bad idea because it's easy to get behind. However, you get into the Word. You just do it any way you can. If you have more questions about any of this, email me through our website. I don't have all the answers. I'm not a preacher, but I do have some very smart friends, and I can find the answers if I don't know them. We so overcomplicate things, and if you want to know personally this God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who sent his son Jesus to carry that wooden cross, die for our sins, and conquer the grave three days later, it is as simple as praying to him and accepting his son as your savior. Contrary to popular belief, it's time for some truth and boldness in our Christian communities. Be encouraged, turn off the news, and get into that Bible. God is still in control, and He loves you. Thank you for joining us today in this episode of Grace-Filled Grit. I know that your time is valuable, and I truly appreciate you being here. I hope it was helpful and that you'll share it with a friend. In order to schedule amazing guests on our show, we could use some good reviews. So if you've enjoyed this episode, I'd be honored if you could head over to the podcast app on your phone, tap the album art for the Grace-Filled Grit podcast, scroll down to the bottom of the page and write a review. I'm looking forward to our next episode and I hope you'll join us again. Blessings to you today, friend, as you live out your own Grace-Filled Grit.